Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 17. It says, when he came down from the mountain, this is Jesus, he just finished his sermon on the mount. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came and came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. Now when he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from the east and the west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. And when Jesus entered Peter's house and saw, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever, he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Now, we're not going to have time tonight to get through all of these verses, but we're going to begin a study on this passage. As we move on from the Sermon on the Mount, we now see that Jesus heals many people. Now, there's value in studying each situation in which Jesus heals people because when Jesus does heal, he has a purpose and he uses it for a teaching opportunity. I'm going to want you to notice this, and I'm going to just give you a little commercial ahead of time. There's a tendency amongst us, and we're going to talk about this a lot tonight, there's a tendency amongst us to try to find the secret formula for healing. And people will read a passage and say, oh, that's a key to the secret formula. And then they'll read another passage and say, oh, that's another key to the secret formula. And I'm going to show you tonight from Scripture that God blows up everyone's secret formula for when it comes to healing. So if you're here tonight with preconceived notions about the fact that you've got God figured out and how he heals, you might be a little disappointed in the study. But hopefully you'll grow in your knowledge of the word. But at the same time, what I also want you to see in each of these instances, when Jesus heals, he uses the instances as a teaching opportunity. Well, actually, I've come to realize that through many episodes through the scriptures, that God is always looking for opportunities to teach us. He wants us to grow in our knowledge of him. So let's look first at this one here in Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. It says, when he came down from the mountain... A great crowds followed him, and behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. Now, in this account of Jesus healing this man with leprosy, we're going to see a couple of things. First thing we see is this. The man asked Jesus if he was willing to heal him. And Jesus not only responded that he was willing and healed him, notice how he healed him. Jesus could have just said the word and he'd be healed, correct? 
What was the man's disease? Leprosy. What do you know about leprosy? Yeah, don't touch him. What did he do? He touched him. Now, I want you to learn how to meditate on the Word of God. Don't just read Bible stories and move on. Stay there for a little bit. Think about it. Let the Spirit of God begin to help you see some things. It had probably been a long time since this man had ever even had physical contact. Years ago, when I was a pastor in Chicago, I was at a pastor's conference, and, and uh, um, Max Lucado was one of the speakers. And Max Lucado was sitting up on a stage at Moody Bible College in, in one of their auditoriums there. And there are about a thousand pastors in this auditorium. And Max Lucado came out to speak to us. And all he had in his hand was a bunch of pieces of paper that he had written on. And he sat on a stool. I have a stool here tonight because my back's hurting. But uh, he had, sat down on a stool and he said, here's what I want to do tonight. I want to just read to you something I've just written. It hadn't been published yet. It's something that God has just kind of put on my heart. And Max Lucado sat down on a stool there, and he just read to us from his handwritten notes. And folks, it was powerful. And even though it's been 20 years since I was there, I can remember vividly what he, what he said. He actually began to read, and he was telling it first person, and he, he talked like he was this man. And he talked about the first time he started to realize that something was wrong when he accidentally poured some hot boiling water onto his foot, but he didn't notice it. And it burned his skin, but he didn't even feel it. And then he started to know the difference. And then he got talking about how people started to act differently toward him. And people started to shy away from him when his leprosy began to grow. And then he talked about how his wife didn't touch him anymore. And then he said, I hadn't had physical contact for so many years until today. Until today, he touched me. There's a man who touched me. And it was powerful. Folks, just years ago, that is stuck. 20 years later, that message that Max Lucado preached was powerfully stuck into my brain. But it helped me grasp this passage even more. The man was sim simply saying, Lord, if you're willing. And Jesus says, I am willing. If you remember from our study back earlier when we were in Matthew chapter 6 and we were dealing with prayer and we jumped over to Luke chapter 11 where the disciples came to Jesus and said, teach us to pray, but we're afraid you won't. But John taught his disciples. And remember how we broke down how Jesus told the parable about the man who came to his friend at midnight and how he was teaching that we need to come to him in prayer, not only believing that he's able, but that he's also willing. So in this passage, we see that he touched him. But then he tells the man not to say anything about his healing to others, but to go show himself to the priests. Why? Go look closely again. And immediately the leprosy was cleansed. Look at verse 4. And Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. If you go back to the book of Leviticus, I think it's around chapter 14. There are all these instructions on what you're to do if you have leprosy and how to go and offer those sacrifices to the priest. But who was he supposed to go present what Jesus had done through him to? To the priest. Isn't it interesting? He says, don't go tell everybody else what I've done. You go show yourself to the priest as a proof to them. Jesus healed this man, not only to teach us that he's willing to heal, but also he healed this man because he wanted this man to be a witness to the priest. By the way, does anybody have any idea whether or not he obeyed? Can we tell from here whether he obeyed? Mark tells us whether or not he does. Jump over to Mark chapter 1. Go to Mark chapter 1 and look at verses 40 through 45. 
In Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 40. And a leper came to him and imploring him and kneeling to, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. Did the guy obey Jesus when he sternly warned him not to tell anybody else? Now, I'm going to talk to you about something. We're going to chase a rabbit for a second, then we're going to come back to our study on healing. But I'm going to chase a rabbit for a minute. Like I told you, it's okay to chase rabbits as long as you can catch them, and they taste good when you catch them. This is one we can, we can catch, and hopefully you'll find it's helpful for you. It's not wrong to tell people about what Jesus has done for us, but he's working in his fields, and he has a purpose and a timing and a plan that he is working out. I want you to hear what I'm saying here. I know too many Christians that sound spiritual and they say things like, I make it my policy to tell everyone that I see. That sounds real good, but that doesn't match up with Scripture. I want us to learn how to become people who know what it means to walk in the Spirit and know when to speak and when not to speak. When to share and when not to share. We've already seen that Jesus told us to learn how to not cast our pearls before swine. We're to be wise as serpents but harmless as doves. And I want you to be careful about building your life on your principles and your policies instead of being led of the Spirit, especially even when it comes to sharing the gospel. Well, Jim, don't you think we should all be telling everybody everywhere? That sounds really good, but the Bible doesn't say that we're all supposed to be telling everybody everywhere. Let me give you a couple quick examples. Go to uh, Galatians chapter 2. Look at verses 7 through 9. I actually think, just like with this man... There's been hindrance to the work of God in the world over the years because of Christians who have sought to share the gospel according to their plan and their purpose instead of what God says. Go to Galatians chapter 2, look at verses 7 through 9. Paul says, On the contrary, when they, this is the leadership of the church in Jerusalem, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Did Paul have a heart for the nation of Israel and the Jews? Of course he did. He even says in Romans chapter 9, if he could go to hell and that would cause Israel to be saved, he'd do it. But God said, as much as you have a heart for the Jews, my purpose is to have you go preach to the Gentiles. And I've chosen Peter to go be the one that heads up the preaching to the Jews. He's to go to the circumcised, you're to go to the uncircumcised. And I could walk you through in Ephesians and also Colossians, where Paul talks and says to the churches, the Gentile churches, how God had given him an apostolic ministry to the Gentiles. Even though Paul wanted to preach to the Jews, Jesus said, I've chosen you to go to the Gentiles. Go to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, look at verses 6 through 10. Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 6, And they, this is Paul and his missionary travelers, Silas and others, 
And when they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Again, Paul had been chosen by God to preach to the Gentiles, correct? And so he tries to go into Asia to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And the Spirit of God said what? Nope. So he doesn't go sit home and say, well, I'll just wait until I get a word from the Lord on where I'm supposed to go. No, he had already been told to go into all nations, but he was told to listen as he goes. So they try to go into Mysia, but they're listening, and the Spirit says, not here. If you do a little study of this passage, it reads so quick, and you look on a map, you'll realize from the beginning of the journey until the time they end up in Macedonia is 400 miles. That takes a little while by foot, don't you think? This is not a quick episode, but they're walking in the Spirit, learning to listen, and when they get into Macedonia, if you read on, the first convert is a lady named Lydia. And she's from the city of Thyatira. Oh, and I love this part. Thyatira was in Asia. Paul says, I want to go into Asia and preach the gospel. God says, I'll get you into Asia, but I'm going to do it my way and at my time. I'm going to send you to Macedonia. You're going to meet someone in Macedonia, and they're going to be from Asia, and they're going to be the ones saved, and they're going to be the ones who go get it on back there. Go to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, look at verses 14 through 20. Jesus, as you know, and if you know this story, heals this man with a legion of demons. Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 14, the herdsmen fled. Remember, he cast the demons out of this man, and they all went into the pigs, and the pigs drowned themselves. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and the country, and the people came to see what, that it, what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid and those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart, to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with the demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Here's the man who's been healed. The people in that area, they don't want Jesus around. This has freaked them out. They're like, please, just get out of here. We don't understand this. This is scary. And Jesus says, okay. I, again, we're not to stay when we're not welcome. Remember the Bible says, shake the dust off your feet and move on. The man who had been healed of the legion says, Jesus, I want to travel with you. And nowadays, in our desire to market and our desire to try to help God get this message, how many times have you thought to yourself, man, if only Tiger Woods would get saved. Boy, what, wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be cool if Tiger Woods would get saved and then he could be used to share the gospel? It had spread so fast if Tiger would get saved. See, we, we would have been there at that time saying, think how cool this would have been to have the demoniac travel with their traveling preachers. The man who had been healed of the legion of demons. And then we could have had the sideshow. And Jesus says, actually, I want you to go home. I want you to go home and tell the people in your hometown, um, they don't want me here, but I'm going to leave you here. Listen closely to what I want you to see. In Matthew chapter 8, 
There's a lot going on. He's teaching. The man says, are you willing? Jesus says, I am willing. And he touches him. Oh, we could just spend all night just on these four verses. And how he touches him and he shows compassion and he cares. But then he says to him, and the Bible shows us in Mark's account, he warned him strongly. Don't tell anyone. You just go show yourself to the priest as a proof to them. I want to use what I've done in your life for a specific group of people that I want to reveal myself to the priests. The man, unfortunately, because God's given us the ability to say yes or no to what he has for us, he goes and he starts telling everybody, and that actually hindered Jesus' ability to go town to town because of the chaos that had occurred. But God's work's still going to get done. He's used to cleaning up after us. But I just want to encourage you, don't just go and share the gospel according to your purpose and your plan and your system. Too many Christians, especially people that have the gift of evangelism, fight with other Christians on how the gospel is supposed to be shared. There's people out there writing books on how this is the only way to do it. This is the way Jesus did it, or this is the way it's supposed to be done. Or no, you've got to use the four spiritual laws. No, no, if you use the Roman road, and we keep fighting over how we think it ought to be done. And Jesus says, no, why don't you just let me show you who to talk to and when and where, and just walk with me a day at a time, and I'll get it done. Let me ask you a question then tonight. If Jesus is willing, does that guarantee your healing? You say spiritually, yes. I'm talking physically. If Jesus, if Jesus is willing, does that guarantee your healing physically? <laughs> you keep saying spiritually when I'm in heaven. I'm going to... came to him confidently. Mm-hmm. came to him... Reverently, right. came to him believing. Okay, so you're, are you saying then that if I come to him reverently, obediently, and all that you just said, I'm guaranteed that he's going to heal me? No. Exactly, and that's what I want you to hear. That's what I want you to understand. Again, we have to be careful of wanting to find the secret formula. All right? We, we, the Bible's very clear that we miss out on much that God has for us because we don't ask or we don't believe that he's willing. Or because when we do ask, we use our, our motives aren't lined up with his purposes. Go real quick to James chapter 4 real quick. I want you to see what the scripture says. I don't want to skip over this part too quick to get to the part that I want to deal with tonight. Go to James chapter 4. Written clearly to Christians. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you don't have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You don't have because you don't ask. But then you ask and you don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it's to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep, and let your laughter return to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he'll exalt you. Here he's writing to Christians, and he's saying, look, you still don't understand. You're still trying to live the Christian life according to what you want. And some of you don't have stuff that I have for you because you don't ask. Others of you are asking, but your reasons for asking aren't in line with my will. 
and therefore you don't get it. In Matthew chapter 23, you don't have to turn there, verse 37, Jesus even stood over Jerusalem and he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I wanted to gather you as a mother hen gathers her chicks, but you weren't willing. There's a lot we miss out on. I don't want you to miss this in where we're going tonight. There's a lot that God has for us that we miss out on because we don't ask. We don't believe that he will. We don't believe that he's willing. I don't want to skip over that too quickly, but at the same time, we must be wary of any teaching on healing that puts more emphasis on man's faith than on God's sovereignty. I want you to hear this, and I'm going to show you some more of that as we let the Scripture speak tonight. We must be wary of any teaching on healing that puts more emphasis on man's faith than on God's sovereignty. Beware of trying to find the perfect formula for healing. Does anybody know why we want to find the perfect formula for healing? Why we want to find the secret? Oh, maybe if I believe he's willing, or if I believe he's able, or if I do it humbly, or if I do it this way or that. Does anybody know why we want to find the secret formula? We want to be God. That's the honest answer. It's pride. We want to be God. Because if we can find the secret formula, we have the magic wand. We have the magic wand. As you're going to see tonight from Scripture, all through the scriptures, as we look at healing tonight, God blows that up. <laughs> well, you're saying there's a push on the forehead doesn't heal. Um, I, I'm not going to say that every push on the forehead doesn't heal, but I'm going to say if you say every push on the forehead heals, then no. <laughs> Let me just say this to you. I heard this one preacher one time uh, talking about how this guy went stood in a line of people that were getting slammed on the forehead and all this kind of stuff. And, and this guy finally gets to the front and the guy hits him in the forehead and he, he doesn't fall down. So he hits him again and he doesn't fall down. And he hits him again and he finally gets him out of the line. And the guy goes to the back of the line. And he gets back up to the front and the, the preacher says, why are you back here? He goes, well, I got a headache now. All right. So <laughs> listen closely. Sometimes faith is necessary, though, for healing. And sometimes it isn't. Sometimes faith is necessary for healing, and sometimes it isn't. Go to Luke 22 with me real quick. Go to Luke chapter 22. Uh, what, ask your question again. You say, if faith is necessary, I said it's sometimes necessary, and sometimes it's not. Do you understand what I'm saying? I want you to see from Scripture, sometimes they aren't healed because of their lack of faith. But there are other times faith has nothing to do with healing. Again, we keep looking for the formula. You're going to let, tonight the Scripture is going to blow that all up. In Luke 22, look at verses 47 through 51. In Luke 22, starting in verse 47, while he was still speaking, there came a crowd and the man called Judas, oops, yeah, I'm in the right place. While they're still speaking, there came a crowd, and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when they, those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Did the guy that just got his ear cut off and then Jesus healed him and had his ear put right back on, did the man have it because he had faith? No, he was part of the crowd that had no faith and was coming to arrest him. And Jesus just healed him for his own purposes 
and it had nothing to do with the man's faith. So how do you address when, when he says, if you have enough faith that you can move mountains? So if you're... You're, you're asking when he's talking about in Matthew chapter 17, if we have the faith the size of a mustard seed, we can say this mountain be moved. The answer to your question is answerable, but it would take the rest of the night. The short version is this. The biggest issue is if we ask anything according to his will, and if we, but we have to know his will. Again, God works everything according to his purposes of his will. And here's the, I'm going to just say this to you real quickly, and then hopefully it'll sink into the rest of the study. And by the way, some of you are going to have questions. Save them to the end about these types of things, and that's okay, because hopefully by the end of the study, a lot of these passages will already answer your question. But let me say this to you. If you believe that God is able to heal you and willing to heal you, you're okay if he says no. I want that to sink in. Go ahead, Eric. Exactly. If you believe that he's able to heal you and willing to heal you, but he says no, you'll be okay with it. Go to Mark chapter 6. Look at verses 1 through 6. Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. It says, he went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, and among his relatives, and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid a few, his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. Here we see that he wasn't able to do a lot of the stuff he wanted to do because they didn't want it or believe it. Yet, did that stop him from being able to heal? So, faith is tied to healing a lot of instances. But don't think that if you don't have faith, God won't heal. Oh, at the same time, don't think that if you have enough faith, God has to heal, because that makes you God. Let's keep going. Go to Mark, Matthew chapter 8. Let's look at the next section, the next healing episode. Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 13. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled, and he said to those who followed him, truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from the east and the west and recline at the table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place, there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. In the healing account that we saw earlier, Jesus uses it to teach that he wants to reveal himself to the priests. But in this one, he's now showing the Jews that even Gentiles will be included in God's kingdom. That's what's going on here. As the centurion, who's a Roman, and a Gentile comes up and says, Lord, I need you to heal my servant. Jesus says, let's go to your house. Let's go get it done. And the guy says, you don't even have to come to my house. 
You've got so much authority. If you just say the word, it'll be healed. You don't have to show up and wave your hand, do anything magic tricky, and just say the word. He goes, I'm a man under authority. If I tell someone, go, they go, and I tell them, come, they come. All you got to do is just say it, and it'll happen. And Jesus turns. Remember, he's speaking to the Jews. He had been sent to the lost sheep of Israel. He said, among all Israel, haven't seen such faith. Then he makes this interesting statement. I tell you that many will come from the east and the west. and They're all going to be able to sit at the table in the kingdom with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This last account is for the purpose of revealing Jesus' power to the Jewish. The first one is to the Jewish priests. This one is to show the Jews that they weren't the only ones in the kingdom. Let me show you that. Go to Matthew chapter 8. Look at verses 10 through 12 again. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and he said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from the east and the west and recline at the table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. And you remember from our study at the beginning of Matthew, kingdom of heaven is not when we all get to heaven. Remember, the kingdom of heaven is the kingdom of God that's going to be on the earth when Jesus comes and rules and reigns. Go to Matthew 15. Go to Matthew 15, verses 21 through 28. Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. By the way, is this Jewish territory or Gentile territory? Gentile. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he didn't answer her a word, and his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she's crying out after us. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord, but even the dogs get to lick the crumbs or eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Here in this area of Gentile country, this Gentile woman comes out. She calls him, by the way, what does she call him? Look closely, what does she call him? Son of David. If a Gentile's calling him son of David, what does that show us? She knew the prophecies. She was saying, you're the Messiah. Because they knew the prophecy said that a descendant of David was going to come and rule and reign. She knew that he was the Jewish Messiah. She had faith. But then interestingly enough, Jesus ignores her. Now, let me ask you a real quick question before we go any further, because this has bothered people for years, that Jesus would just ignore this lady. She says, you're the Messiah. Let me ask you a question. Did Jesus know that she had faith, or did he find out after she responded the way she did? He knew. You know all through the Scriptures. Don't make me show you all of them tonight. How many? The Bible says that he knew what they were thinking. He knew their thoughts. He knew their thoughts. He told Nathaniel, I, uh, I saw you when you were still under that tree before Philip came and got you. There isn't anything he doesn't know. But he was letting it come out so that he could teach his disciples. He was sent by the Father to the lost sheep of Israel. Remember the Gospels to the Jew first and then the Gentile. So he says, the disciples come and say, she's driving us nuts. Would you send her away? He said, I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. And he says, and it's not right to take the children's bread and give it to the dogs. And her answer is so awesome. I love it. I'll paraphrase it for you. She says, uh, then I'll be a dog. Because you're the only one that has what I need. You're the only one that has the power to do what needs to be done. 
And even dogs get to lick the crumbs that fall from the children's table. If I have to be a dog to get what I need, I'll be a dog. Boy, you want to talk about humility and faith. And then Jesus says, woman, great is your faith. Go to Acts chapter 10. Look at verses 25 through 35. Peter's had this vision of the sheet come down and on it are all these animals that are supposedly unclean. And God tells him, arise, kill and eat. And he says, oh, Lord, I've never eaten anything that's unclean. And God says to him, whatever I've called clean, don't you call unclean. And for years, preachers have said, this is the first time God said food was clean. No, you go back to Mark chapter 7. And when Jesus was talking about it, it's not what goes into the body that makes you unclean but it's what comes out of your heart that makes you unclean. And it literally says in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7, by this he declared all foods clean. Jesus had already declared all foods clean. He was reminding Peter in Acts chapter 10. So Peter then, when the Gentiles show up, he realizes that he's to go. And he goes into their house. In Acts chapter 10, verses 25 through 35, when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with them, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. By the way, that wasn't God's law. That was the Jewish law. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. And I ask you then, why are you sent for me? And Cornelius said, four days ago, at about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He's lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we're all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. God's word is very, very clear, by the way, folks. It has been God's plan all along that salvation would be for the Jew and the Gentile. It wasn't that he decided once the Jews rejected him to now go to the Gentiles. The Bible says all along that God was going to use the nation of Israel as a light to the Gentiles. When Simeon in the temple recognized that Jesus was there as a baby and he came and he prophesied over him, he said again, he's going to be a light for the Gentiles. Now Paul adds that there's a mystery that thou God was revealing through him that hadn't been revealed in previous generations. And that mystery is that the Gentiles were going to be equal with the Jews and that the, all the promises for Israel were going to become the Gentiles by faith. It was not the mystery revealed that the Gentiles would be saved. That had been there all along, but the Jews missed it or ignored it. And the Jews thought that they were the only ones that God loved. They loved being his chosen people, but instead of being the light to the world, their attitude was there's only two reasons why God made the Gentiles. And this is honestly the view they had back in the day. Their view was that there were only two reasons why God made the Gentiles. One was someone's going to go to hell. Seriously. And two, we need servants. And that was the mindset. That's how the Jews treated their own brothers and sisters who intermarried with the Babylonians and the Chaldeans and became the Samaritan nation, as we know. They wouldn't even go through Samaria. They wouldn't have anything to do with Samaria because they weren't 
pure Jews. Jesus was sent to the lost sheep of Israel to share with them the truth that had been there all along. And this healing of the centurion's servant, we see the biggest main reason for the healing of his servant was so that the Jews would understand that God loves the Gentiles just as much. And he responds to those who have faith. We're not going to have you turn there, but some of you know that in John chapter 9, there was a story of a man who had been blind since he was born. And the Jews who had been taught that if you're sick or anything like that's going on, it's because God's upset with you or you've sinned. And they asked him since he was born blind, they said, who sinned, him or his parents, that he was born blind? In other words, the guy was born blind. He didn't have a chance to sin. So did he sin in the womb? Or did his parents sin? Because that's what they've been taught. If you're sick, it's because you have sin. Now, we're going to show you a little bit later on tonight that sometimes our healing is tied to sin. Or our need for healing is tied to sin. I'm going to show you that from Scripture in a second. But Jesus says, no, neither. This isn't tied to his sin or his parents' sin. But God did this so that the glory of God would be revealed. He intentionally had this man born blind so that at a certain point years later when he's a man, God could bring glory to himself through that. Now, I'm going to ask you an honest question. How does that make you feel? I just said that God said that he intentionally caused a person to be born blind and to live most of their life blind so that later on God could get glory. God intentionally caused this man to suffer so that later on he would receive glory. How do you feel about that? But you got to be careful how you answer, because if you say you don't like it, you're going to be hypocritical, because you gather to worship every Sunday morning the fact that God would cause his own son to suffer so that you'd receive glory later on. you got no problem with him causing his son to suffer so you can receive glory, but buddy, i got a problem, and you got a problem if he causes me to suffer for his glory. Sometimes God brings sickness and allows that for his purposes so that he'll receive glory down the road. We don't know which it is. We have to be willing to say, Lord, as I study your word and as I look at the scriptures, would you show me what you're doing in this situation? There's, is, it, is it wrong to ask for healing? No. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. But be willing to understand that if he says no, he has a reason and a purpose. So, Jim, quickly, he brings sickness to Bring glory to the Father, right? God allows it. God, okay, that's a different than bringing it on. Well, it, again, he ultimately is in control. You remember back with our study in Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount in the Lord's Prayer, where we showed that he's the one who controls whether Satan has any authority. So in essence, it's still coming from him because he controls whether it happens. Nothing happens without his permission. Go to... Uh, now, we'll just jump on here. Go back to Matthew chapter 8. Look at verse 11. Jesus said, I tell you, many will come from the east and the west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Let me ask you a question. Hopefully, you all know this answer. If you don't, it's because you're new, because otherwise you've heard it over and over. And oh, by the way, you're going to hear it again. Has the church replaced Israel then? No. I want you to get that in your head because most Christians today are being taught that all the promises for Israel are now being fulfilled in the church 
The church is the be-all, end-all. The church is the end, and, and, and God's done with Israel. And there are many Christian denominations who are anti-Israel and pro-Palestine. And I want you to see from Scripture tonight that that is not what the Bible teaches. Go to Romans chapter 11. He's doing something right now that during this season called the church age, but the church age is going to come to a close, and he's going to finish what he started with the nation of Israel. If you go back and look at the prophecies in Daniel chapter 9, verses 20 through 27, and the 77s which are decreed for the city of Jerusalem and the nation of Israel, all of them except one seven-year period were literally fulfilled right up in the day Jesus rode into Jerusalem. But then the prophecy said that he would be cut off and he would have nothing. The Messiah would be cut off. But then there's going to come one last seven-year period where this Antichrist is going to come on the scene and he's going to confirm a covenant with the many for one seven-year period. In the midst of that seven-year period, he, at the three-and-a-half-year point, he's going to step into the wing of the temple that will be built at that time in Jerusalem, and he's going to declare himself to be God. And that's why Jesus told in Matthew 24, the Jews, not the church, when you see the abomination of desolation standing in the holy place, you better run for your lives. And as you know, Revelation says they're going to run out into the wilderness and they're going to be protected there for the last three and a half years. The ones who stay in Jerusalem are going to be killed. Two-thirds of them are going to be killed. The church has not replaced Israel. And the book of Romans chapter 11 makes this very, very clear. Read with me a little bit here in chapter 11, verse 1. Paul says, I ask then, has God rejected his people, meaning the Jews, by no means? For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it's by grace, it's no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened as it was written. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. So I ask, did they, the Jews, stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel Jealous. He's not done with Israel. And by the way, if you were to go back and double check me, you go to Deuteronomy chapter 32 and look at verse 21. Actually, the whole chapter of chapter 32 of Deuteronomy, God lays out for the nation of Israel their whole history from their beginning all the way to the end when he redeems them in the end. But when he gets to chapter 32, verse 21, he says this, you're going to go after other gods that aren't gods to make me jealous. I'm going to take a people you don't consider a people and make you jealous. God's saving Gentiles right now in this church age. Jews are included, but just like as he was drawing mainly Jews and a Gentile here and a Gentile there were responding, now in this age, it's mostly Gentiles who are being saved. And there's Jews here and Jews there. Oh, but be excited. The more you start to see Jews come to faith, you'll see that his drawing is moving from the Gentiles back to the Jews. And that means that we're going to be heading with him real soon. So be praying for the people of Israel to respond Salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, I'm speaking to you Gentiles inasmuch that I am an apostle to the Gentiles. 
I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. Jump down to verse 25. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I don't want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, the Jews are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they're beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they may also now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience so that he might have mercy on all. Folks, that can't be any more clear. Is God done with Israel? No. Has he given them up forever? No. He's saving the church right now, and that's a mixture of Jew and Gentile, but mostly Gentile, and he's doing it, why? To make Israel jealous. And when the time of the Gentiles, the, the end, the fullness of the Gentiles comes to an end, he's going to take us to be with him, and he's going to finish with the nation of Israel. And the prophecies all talk about how it's all going to be centered in Jerusalem and how the whole world's going to be against Israel, against the city of Jerusalem, and we're heading in that way and in that day. Go to John chapter 21 real quick. Go to John 21. Let me ask you a question. Are you okay with knowing that God loves us and if he chooses to heal us or doesn't, that he's God and he can do however he pleases? Are you okay with that? I mean, you need to be if you're going to be a biblical Christian. Go to John 21. Look at verses 18 through 22. And John 21, look at verses 18 and following. Jesus says, truly, speaking to Peter, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you don't want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Now, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's John following them the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper. And he said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Folks, I'm going to be honest with you a little bit here tonight. Because I'm never usually honest with you, but I'm going to try to do it tonight. I've had to wrestle a little bit with the fact that God healed me of my cancer, miraculously. And those of you that know the story of my blood clots and my lungs and the serious condition that happened there and how he healed me. And I walked out of the ICU. By the way, if you don't believe me, one of the nurses from there showed up here tonight. She was like, didn't I see you? And I'm like, yes, I remember you. That's so cool that she's here. On the night that we're talking about healing. But I've struggled sometimes because I don't want anybody thinking that God loves me more. I would love to take you through the scriptures tonight in Hebrews chapter 11 
where you start in verse 35 and following, where I say 32 and following, where it talks about how these other men and women of faith, some received their children back from the dead, others escaped the edge of the sword, some were killed by the sword, some were sawn in two. All of these were commended for their faith. Again, beware of any teaching on healing that puts more emphasis on man's effort and man's responsibility than God's sovereignty. Does God still heal? Yes. Don't listen to those people who say that stuff's done. Oh, no, no. The Bible doesn't teach that God's doing those, done doing those things. He still is. But he does it when and how he chooses. And we have to be okay with the fact that here he told Peter, um, Peter, remember how that guy that said he would die for me? You will. Let me tell you how you're going to die, Peter. And he described crucifixion. When he said you'll stretch out your arms. He was describing crucifixion. Those of you that know a little bit about biblical history know that when Peter was killed, he was crucified. And he said, I'm not worthy to be crucified in the same manner as my Lord. Crucify me upside down. And when Peter was crucified, he was crucified upside down. It wasn't a last minute decision. He had been told 25 years earlier by Jesus how he was going to die. I believe without question he was prepared for that moment. But at the moment that he was told how he was going to die, his first instinct was just like all of ours and say, well, that doesn't sound like too much fun. Can you tell me how John's going to die? Because I'll feel a whole lot better about how I'm going to die if you tell me how John's going to die. And Jesus says, what if I want him to remain alive until I return? What's that to you? Are you okay with the fact that God gets to do things however he wants and when he wants? He's God. Go to 2 Samuel chapter 12. I love that you just quoted there, Susan. Matthew chapter 11, verse 6, you just quoted, Blessed are those who do not fall away on account of me. 2 Samuel chapter 12, look at verses 13 and following. You know David has done this sin with Bathsheba. She got pregnant. A child was born and the prophet comes and says that because of this, God's decision is that the child is going to die. 2 Samuel chapter 12, look at verses 13 and following. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house. And the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and he became sick. David therefore sought God on behalf of the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. And the elders of his house stood beside him to raise him from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. On the seventh day the child died, and the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spoke to him, and he didn't listen to us. How then can we say to him, The child is dead? He may do harm to himself. But when David saw that his servants were whispering together, David understood that the child was dead. And David said to his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. And he then went into his own house. And when he asked, they set food before him and he ate. Then his servants said to him, What is this thing that you've done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive. But when the child died, you rose and ate food. He said, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live, but now he's dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I'm going to go to him, but he shall not return to me. 
That's a perfect attitude right there. He begged. He prayed. He fasted. He wept. He didn't eat for a week. He pled with God. By the way, do you believe David believed he was able to do it? Of course he did. But God chose for his purposes, no. And he got up when it was over and said, God's God and I'm not. God's God and I'm not. We need to be okay with that. Now, by the way, don't become fatalistic with this knowledge. We're still to seek God's healing. He still heals today. Remember, we don't receive because we don't ask. Don't become one of those people who say, well, God's going to do what God's going to do. It doesn't matter whether I do it. No, no, there's still a lot tied to you. Well, I remember, there are reasons that God does things, and he's trying to teach us things through it. So I would seek him to say, what are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to show me? The New Testament teaches us to seek healing and to have others pray for us. And some sicknesses are tied to sin in our lives. We don't have time tonight because of where we are and how much it's almost 8 o'clock. But if you go look at James chapter 5, it says, if anybody were sick, go to the elders of the church. Have them pray for you. But if you look in the full context, it actually says, and if they've sinned, they'll be forgiven. I'm just going to say this to you. Listen closely. Some of our sickness is tied to sin. Please don't hear me say that if you're sick, it's because you're sinning. That's not what the Bible says. But sometimes it is tied to sin. And God's using it to get your attention. He's been talking to you already ahead of time. Don't think that the first time God tries to get your attention is through sickness. No, if he lives within you, he's been speaking to you. But if you walk in continual disobedience, sometimes he's got to amp up the discipline to get our attention. There's nothing wrong with doing a sin checklist when you're sick, when you're dealing with an issue that won't go away. But also, don't think for a second that, don't believe anybody that tries to tell you, well, the only reason this is continuing is because you have unforgiveness or whatever. No, no, be careful. Be careful. Don't become one of Job's friends. Job's friends had God all figured out, didn't they? And they were wrong. Everything they said about God was right and true, just didn't fit in Job's life. And oh, by the way, um, was Job's sickness tied to his sin? No, the Bible says he was blameless and upright. But God, for his purposes and his reasons, chose to have Job go through all that he went through, losing his family and his kids and all that, and then having that unbelievably painful boils. Folks, God does still heal. And there's value in having others pray for us. I honestly think that's a big part of a lot of the healing that's happened to me. Is because so many people around the country and the world have prayed for me. There's power in that. Don't become fatalistic. But don't then keep going down the road to where you're thinking, I'm just missing the key here. If I could just find the secret formula, then I could get over the hump and have, I could become God. No, he gets to still be God. As we follow Jesus' ministry, let's learn and grow, but let's avoid looking for a formula that gives us the power and makes us God. We'll come back next week and look at the next one that we read earlier tonight about how Jesus went and healed Peter's mother-in-law. By the way, he couldn't be the first pope if he had a mother-in-law. I'll let you wrestle with that one for two weeks. We'll see you. We'll see you in two weeks. I love you. See you in two weeks.